Hey everybody, this is Marn. What you are about to hear is a episode that is a part of a pilot season of a horror book club podcast that was recorded in the winter of 2019-2020, with the last episode being recorded literally right before quarantine uh, went into effect. That's just some context for the pilot season of Dead Letter Society. After this season airs, it will be back with a slightly different different format, but until then, enjoy! Society, a horror book club podcast. I'm Marn, your spooky host, and every other week or so, I'm going to bring a friend into my library of terrors to discuss a novel, short story, or bit of interactive fiction that scares us. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Especially Heinous 272 Views of Law and Order SVU by Carmen Maria Machado. And with me is my guest, Ben Roswell. Hi, I'm Ben Roswell. My pronouns are he, him. I love horror, but hate horror movies. <laughs> Because I can't do jump scares. Oh, valid. Uh, you may also know Ben from If Not Us Then Who, the podcast, and uh, his tabletop game writing work on Itch.io. Before we talk about especially heinous, I want to do content warnings as I do, or as I plan on doing at the top of every show. Uh, I think that horror is great, but it deserves to have content warnings. We are not necessarily going to discuss everything in these content warnings in detail, but you should know if you intend on reading the story that it does contain all of these things. This is a very hard story to do content warnings for because it essentially deals with everything uh, that Law & Order SVU deals with on the show to about the same degree of explicitness. But I will warn for it contains a lot of stuff about sexual assault, uh, murder of both adults and minors, general violence and gore, gun violence, body horror, suicide, and applied cannibalism. And I think... That that is all. Um, of the also, big ones. terrorism. Like, uh, there's. Oh bomb. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, not a very big part of the story, but j- if that sets you off. Yeah, and there's no. some like, oh, an eye horror. I keep forgetting to warn for eye horror in in these, um, but it is something that personally gets me really badly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why I keep forgetting to warn for <laughs> it. So especially heinous is a novella. That is a story essentially told through fake Law & Order episode summaries. The episode titles are real, I believe, but the summaries are all fake. uh, And it's just like a fake narrative about the Law & Order characters. Uh, Yeah, it's it sure is something. It takes a little bit of to get used to how it's how like it's like the the method it's using to tell its story. Yeah. Because it, um, it's not clear at first. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, I don't know that I could do a conventional summary of it. Like, um, with some of the, the episodes that I've been recording of this, like, I've been summarizing the book with my guests. But, like, it's really hard to summarize this because there's, like, a lot of stuff going on. And it it basically goes through, like, 12 whole seasons of Law and Order yeah, it, yeah, it's, 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 um, I think it's all the episode titles from 12 seasons of Law and Order in order. Uh, I mean, the way I would mm-hmm. summarize it is that it's, it's essentially, it's essentially, like, um, the, the story of, uh, Dabbler and Benson, who are the main characters on Law and Order SVU, they're the real main characters on Law and Order SVU, <laughs> coming to grips with the, like, absolute horror of living in a world that hurts people as much as the world of Law & Order SVU does. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good summing up of what it is. It gets a, it gets a lot weirder than that implies, but that's like a... That's like what the core plot is. 
Yeah, and it's very much like a, a magical realism story where they're like kind of slowly realizing that they are in a fictional narrative a little bit. Yeah, there's a um, point where that happens where I was like, oh. Yeah. And they have like doppelgangers and there are ghosts. And uh, there's a bunch of different storylines that are like... I think maybe the way to start talking about this is can you... You you said that, like, uh, you read an interview with her where she describes, like, what the inspiration for this was? Oh, yeah. Uh, I read an interview with Carmen Maria Machado that I will try to find so I can link in the show notes of this episode, uh, where she said, I'm pretty sure that, like, the on- her only, like, experience watching uh, Law & Order SVU was, like, she was really sick with a fever and was, like, watching a marathon of the episodes back-to-back. And, like, that experience is kind of what this is trying to mimic. Mm-hmm. Just, like, the experience of all of these Law & Order episodes back-to-back-to-back in, like, a complete fever dream. <laughs> yeah. And I was... When you first told me that, because we were talking about this... When you first brought it up, because I kind of, like, I read this, like, first, like, two years ago, maybe? hmm I don't know. When did it... I don't know when it was published, but it was, it was a while ago, right? And um, I read it a while ago. I was still in school, so that's at least a year ago. And I had, like, never really, like, talked to anybody about it. And so when you were like, oh, yeah, I'm rereading this, I was like, oh, <laughs> holy fuck. And then you were like, oh, yeah, I was inspired by... Like, watching Law & Order SVU in a feverish way, and I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense, but I would never guess that. Because I really thought it was, like, a very a very controlled and careful critique of what we put on TV. Like, like I assumed it was written from a place of cultural critique rather than a place of, like... I mean, obviously yeah. those things can't be mutually exclusive, but, like, it was... It, was, it surprised me. Yeah, and I, I think it also is that, because I... I also read an interview where Carmen Maria Machado was kind of talking about how it is a little bit like a, a commentary on how Law and Order is so popular and like how we internalize so much about like sexual violence that our society is kind of obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think like that's what like the thing that strikes me first is how it's how clearly it's getting mad at us for just us being society. Like, how clearly it's getting mad at us for, like, just forgetting that these, that, like, people who are murdered or hurt exist. Yeah. Or, like, not, or, like, being desensitized to it. Like, the the third episode is, like, two underage models are attacked while walking home. To add insult to injury, they are confused with two other underage models who coincidentally are their respective twins, and both pairs are buried beneath the wrong tombstones. Like, right off, it was, I thought it was, like, it's, like, okay, you don't care enough about the dead. (laughs) Right? Like, Yeah. It's kind of a harsh way to start. (laughs) In a good way. Yeah, no, I, I, it definitely, like, sets the the tone for the rest of, like, what you're about to read. Like, I, I know people who have tried to read this and, like, tapped out halfway through because it was, like, too much for them, which I completely understand. Yeah, when I was rereading it for this podcast, it took me a couple of tries to get all the way through it. Um, I got to, let me find it, to part the curtain I, in my life, I have had, like, a really weirdly emotional week where, like, just, like, facing a lot of life problems. And, um, I got to, there's one in episode... Season three, Sacrifice. Benson leaves her handsome date at the table in the restaurant, waiting for the drinks. She walks down an empty side street. She takes off her shoes and walks down the center of the road. It's too hot for April. She can feel her feet darkening from the black top. She should be afraid of broken glass, but she is not. In front of a vacant lot, she stops. She reaches down and touches the pavement. It is breathing. Its two-toned heartbeat makes her clavicle vibrate. She can feel it. She is suddenly irrevocably certain that the earth is breathing. She knows that New York is riding on the back of a giant monster. She knows this more clearly than she has ever known anything before. I got to that and I read that and I just burst into tears and was like, okay, I'm going to come back to this. Oh no! (laughs) In like a couple hours. This is like a really 
Like, um, Carmen Maria Machado has, like, a, a talent for kind of, like, I don't know, like, prying things open. Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe we should just start talking about some of our favorite threats. <laughs> yeah, let's fucking do it. So, I will say that, like, this story is maybe my biggest experience with Law & Order. I've only ever watched a couple episodes of it. But, like, I, in theory know what it is about <laughs> i feel like i've watched it like i i spent a lot of time like hanging around my grandparents house when i was a kid or like in hospital rooms they like when my mom was dealing with some medical stuff and like i feel like i've watched like a lot of law and order but never actually sat down to watch it it's just like background radiation <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it was definitely, like, at my friends' houses in high school, like, on in the background. But, like, I never actively, like, sought out Law and Order to watch. Which I guess made this interesting to read because I didn't have a connection to the characters at all. Like, I can't even visualize them in my mind except for that there's a picture of them at the top of the uh, the webpage. Um, like, the thing that I think that most people, like, our age know about Law and Order SVU is that Ice-T is on it, but Ice-T doesn't make an appearance in this novel. No, he does not. Isn't he on, like, the... He's not on SVU, right? He's on, like, the Cyber Crimes Law and Order? No, he's on SVU. I'm looking at- What? I'm, I'm looking at the Law and Order Special Victims Unit TV poster, and there's Benson- Holy shit! And then there's Ice-T. Holy shit. Law and Order has 21 seasons? Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's like the longest running TV show on like TV, currently on TV right now. Oh, that sucks, man. <laughs> it really does. I always I was like a CSI kid because I liked like the the sciency mm-hmm. uh crime shows more than like the Law and Order crime shows. Mm-hmm. Uh I really liked NCIS because I liked Abby. Oh, that's fair. But really, my number one crime show love is Bones. Oh, Bones is so good. I watched so much of Bones. Look, Temperance Brennan just needs to realize that she's gay and everything will be fine. I think I tapped out of Bones when they started, like, killing main characters left and right. And I was like, I'm this isn't what I watched this show for. I watched this show for the slime and bug sky and to see if Temperance Brennan will ever find out she's gay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like, so this was like my biggest, I guess, most formative experience with Law and Order was reading this story, and I don't know what that says, but it's, <laughs> probably, it's also my most formative. But it's probably better than watching twelve seasons of Law and Order. You can uh, just read a horror story about them. I like that the um, the comments on it on this webpage, one of the comments is, way to poke fun at sex crimes, and then someone said, I'd argue that this piece takes sex crimes much more seriously than the actual show. <laughs> there it is, I just scrolled down. No, friend, this is simply a good example of the sublime. There are like five comments on this on the webpage for this novella, they're all pretty good. Um, I'm too dumb to get this novella. Smiley face over my head. I really feel like that sums up the the like range of ex- of re- responses to this novella. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The comments because, are, um, are such a good spectrum of reactions. I mean, I think to to use these random five random comments as a way to like talk about it. But like, I think that there's like a way of reading this where you just like sit back and you let this thing happen to you like you're watching a law and order svu marathon and you're just watching it but i yeah, also think that, no definitely but then i also think if like you start thinking about it like that uh carmen maria Masato machado is like doing something kind of complicated narrative wise like below the surface that i don't know if i'm smart enough to talk about <laughs> like um yeah <laughs> I will say that, like, I, the first time I read it, I I did kind of experience it, like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. I just, like, kind of let 
mm-hmm. the whole thing like wash over me. And then the the second time I read it, kind of keeping in mind like the whole arc of what happens in the entire novella, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this this rips. This is really good. <laughs> Yeah, I think the first, like, seven seasons out of 12 are really her laying out a bunch of different threads that are going to get followed up on, right? And then, like, the final three seasons are, like, just thing after thing after thing happening. Like, leading you to, like, a resolution where most of the different threads get, like, wrapped up quite quickly. But, like, in a way that... I don't know. Some some of me wishes there was a little bit more to it, but some of me also just feels like the ending is pretty perfect. Yeah, I mean, if if only regular Law and Order had ended at season twelve. <laughs> so we haven't actually talked about like the horror that happens in this. <laughs> no, we haven't. We just talked about like how good this novella is, which you know what? That's fine. <laughs> um. Okay. So like. So there's the two main characters, uh, Stabler and Benson. Stabler is uh, the man from Law and Order SVU. I know that's not particularly specific, but he's like the main character who is a man. And wait, wait, is it Stabler or Stabler? I've literally never seen the show enough <laughs> to know how it's pronounced. I have no, I have no idea. It's probably Stabler because it's probably from the like people who stable horses but i assumed it was stabler (laughs) but now that you bring it up it's probably stabler hang on i'm looking up a clip of law and order (laughs) (laughs) i hope i hope to god they say his name (laughs) in this The second thing to come up was Law and Order Stabler dies, so thank you for the Law and Order spoilers, YouTube. Oh, we should put Law and Order spoilers. Is that a spoiler? What season does he die in? I don't know. I think season 20, it's just Benson. Like, Stabler's gone. Oh my god, please say his name in this clip. (laughs) This is like a montage of clips of Law and Order set to like a country song. Oh, please like more. This video is so much. There's a, there's a part of this video where there are five clips of Law and Order on screen at the same time. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> Elliot Stabler, first appearance, payback, last appearance. Smoked. <laughs> um, Google is a pronunciation guide for his name. I, I just assume that they have, like, assumed that we are not, we are smart and capable enough. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, everybody watches Law and Order. Oh, no. Okay. I just pulled up a video that I thought would be normal, but it was set to Girlfriend by Avril Lavigne. <laughs> Where are you on the internet? I literally typed Law and Order Stabler into YouTube. And it just came up with a bunch of, like, bizarre Law and Order music videos. I literally would just like to see one where someone says his name. Oh, uh, the background picture of the Law and Order wiki has um, Benson a very short, good gay haircut. Oh, good. <laughs> Please just give me the video. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to watch a video called Who is Kathy, Kathy Stabler? Oh, no. It's a sex scene. Oh, no. Why is there a sex scene at the top of the, of the Wikipedia page entry for this man? Oh, my God. I hate this. Oh, wait, okay, I think I found a video where the actor pronounces it. Nope. (laughs) He does not say it. God. 
the people on the, the guy Order SVU wiki referred to him as Elliot, and I'm like, are you on first name basis with this man? <laughs> so do the people on YouTube. <laughs> why are you on a why are you on a first name basis with the Okay, I can't find it. I, I'm gonna assume that it's Stabler. <laughs> okay. Um, I now know everything about the arc of uh, Stabler and his wife's relationship on the 20 seasons of Law & Order SVU, oh which God. is frankly much more insulting than their arc in especially heinous. God. I've also learned that a bunch of people are apparently really horny for the actor who plays Stabler. Okay, look, I like men, but I cannot understand that. It's baffling. He looks like a magician now. <laughs> I watched like a a recent video of him and he looks like a magician. He looks a little bit like oatmeal. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he has like a full beard now. Oh, please send me this picture. I'm Let me um I watched a YouTube video where he like especially looks like a magician. I'll link it to you. <laughs> Oh, he looks like he should be in uh, Now You See Me, Now You Don't. <laughs> yeah, he super looks like a magician. He looks hotter. Like, look, he still doesn't look great, but the, the full beard and magician hat suit him a little bit better than anything Law & Order SVU did to him. Okay, wait, I, I found, like, one of the first Google hits for his name is him saying in an interview that the stain of slavery permeates all of our interactions in the United States. I mean, true. I, th- I think this guy might be legit. <laughs> Pour one out for a, a, a comrade. <laughs> what were okay, we gotta... talking about before this happened? <laughs> Um, we we're gonna talk about the like the different things that happen, like the, oh yeah, the th- there's, there's like there's like a bunch of different threads that come back and forth through the story, and some of them are like primarily about Benson, who's the female uh like lead of the show, and some of them are like primarily stablers, and some of them like happen to both of them. Yeah, I think you're right because. Because Benton deals with, like, the the ghosts, and then Stabler has, like, his family stuff, and then there's, like, kind of more external conflicts that happen outside of them, and then there's, like, stuff that they both deal with, like, mm-hmm. the, the doppelgangers. Right. I do want to talk about the doppelgangers, because they're very cool to me yeah well why don't we why don't we talk about the doppelgangers first because they're the i think they're the almost the easiest thing to explain or like talk about yeah so i think around like the third like the end of the third season in this novella (laughs) there's like an episode where they show up to a crime scene and they find that they've apparently already been there and then Season four starts out with, like, a series of episodes where you are introduced to Abler and Henson, mm-hmm. who are Stabler and Benson's doppelgangers, but they're, like, more productive and they have, like, easier lives, basically. I mean, more particularly, I think that the thing that, like, really di- differentiates them is that the first so the first sort of three seasons of this novel, <laughs> seasons of a novel... Um, like, <laughs> we, uh, we really get to see how hard, like, working a sex crimes unit is on Stabler and Benson. Like, we really get to see them, like, there's, like, a part where it talks about how they notch their beds, like, and their, like, furniture for each person they catch. Or for each, like, crime that they can't solve. It's not particularly clear, but, like... And, like, how they can't sleep and how they don't want to bring their, like, the pain of their work home. And then you get interviews mm-hmm. introduced to, like, and, like, so the first three seasons are all about how hard, like, how hard the work they do is. And then you see um, Abler and Henson who are doing the same work, but it does not bother them. 
Yeah. Even a little bit. And it's it's really unnerving. Yeah, it is it is super unnerving. And they just like solve their cases right away and they have no trouble sleeping and they like function like normal quote unquote normal human beings and it's just like weird and bizarre compared to the what you've just read. Yeah. Henson sleeps through every night. She wakes refreshed. She eats a bagel with cream cheese for breakfast and with it a mug of green tea. Abler tucks in his kids and spoons his wife, who laughs in her sleep. When she wakes, she relates to him the very funny joke from her dream, and he laughs too. The children make pancakes. The hardwood floors are flooded with pools of light. And it's like, wow, what a pleasant thing. But we've just been told over and over and over again that the world is horrendous and horrible, and people are killed every single day. Like, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and I think it it's interesting because it kind of instantly sets up these very well-adjusted characters as, like, being kind of sinister. Yeah. And I, I think it's really interesting because right after that, the next one after that is, um, for three days in a row, there is not a single victim in the entire precinct. Not even an unwanted dirty phone call. Then in the gloaming of a Wednesday, a man wolf whistles at a woman on her way to an AA meeting and the whole city releases its held breath. Everything returns to normal. Which is like, oh... <laughs> Wait, you're really hitting the point home there, right? Like, yeah. And then, like, farther down in the fourth season, you like, you find out that the doppelgangers have this like weird, uh, kind of like supernatural thing where like anything that would affect them like affects someone else around them. Yeah. Um, Abler chokes on a piece of what may be human meat. Um, oh yeah, it's not. <laughs> Quite clear. Um, and somebody else at the bar hacks up a like a hacks something up, and then like Henson drinks like fourteen martinis or something, and somebody else gets drunk, which is so interesting to me. Cause then, cause then later, um, Benson I think shoots one of them, mm -hmm. and you find out oh. that like they were fine, but, like, two kids die and, like, have bullets, like, turn up inside of them. Yeah, like, I didn't realize that that's what's happened, but you're absolutely right. Like, one season mm -hmm. ends with them getting shot and the next season opens with um, two kids dropping dead with bullets in their guts but no bullet wounds. <laughs> like, oof. Oh, the doppelgangers are so cool and interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're telling me. And then there's, like, a whole plotline where uh, Abler keeps, like, hanging around Stabler's house and, like, talking to his kids. And where Henson is um, sleeping with the, a woman who is in love with Benson. Oh, yeah. She's sleeping with the, the like, uh, the district attorney. Yeah. Who is in love with Benson. And, like, it's pretty, like, they, they introduce her as in love with Benson and then they jump, the author jumps right to her sleeping with Henson. And it's really unnerving. <laughs> yeah. I think my favorite one with the doppelgangers is uh, in season six, there's one where Benson is on the subway and she sees Henson and Abler on a train going the other direction, but they're in every single window of the train as the I... train goes by. <laughs> yeah. It's... It's just got good imagery, this story. <laughs> it's really good imagery. Um, Yeah, like, I think one of the things I like best about this is that it's very, it, it's very careful to let you understand, like, that the whole world is like this and that they just haven't quite realized it yet. There's lots of, like, one-off cases mm -hmm. that don't really, that I'm sure tie into the whole thing in some way or another, but that aren't, like, necessarily, they're there to tell you that, like, this is how this world works, right? The world of Law and Order SVU as seen through a fever. Yeah. Like, there's one later where um, they cut open the bellies of alligators and pull out three identical arms from one missing girl. Oh, yeah. And then the, the what do you call them? The coroner just marks the girl as presumed dead and throws out the two arms. Mm -hmm. So that they don't he doesn't have to deal with having to, like, write paperwork about three arms. And it kind of implies that, like, the whole world is like this. That, like, violence is turning the world into, like, this horrible thing 
nonstop, and like people just do what they can to deal with it. Yeah. No, I, I really, I really, really like that. Like the world building and the imagery in the story are so just like bonkers good. Yeah, and like the ghosts. Oh, yeah. The imagery of the ghosts. Like, so Benson is haunted by the ghost of like every like young woman or girl who is killed in a horrible way in New York City. And when she sees the ghosts, they look like their normal selves, except. And this is warning for eye horror. Uh, their eyes are removed and replaced with bells, which is like deeply terrifying, but not in a traditional way. Yeah, like it's it's so much more scary than like oh they're covered in the blood of when they died. Like it's so it's so much scarier. I think because it's so like specific, right? Like it's it's so specific and it doesn't like mesh with any kind of standard ghost lore that there is. Right. And then also, like, it then gets even more horrible, because eventually, like, as you go forward, you start to, like, the girls become something that's not horrible, but, like, they, like, are on the character's side. Mm-hmm. It tr- like, they're not, it like, at first you think, oh, they're there to haunt Benson because, like, she failed them and they want revenge or whatever. But, like, it... As the story goes on, it turns out, like, they're very much on her side. Like, they try to make her soup, but they don't have hands that can hold soup. And they, they try to help her, with even without, like, understanding what it like what it's like to be living. Mm-hmm. And then you get this moment where one day they turn up and somebody's taken all the, the knockers out of the bells on their eyes. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, somebody is even more at work in this than... Then we really understand. And then you, and then later you find out that it was Henson that took the the knockers. Yeah, Henson shows up in Benson's apartment and pours the knockers over Ben's like over Benson's body as she's in bed, which is also horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's really oof. Yeah, I really like the kind of like Benson's arc with the ghosts because she goes from like treating them as, like, antagonists and trying to ignore them to, like, actively kind of, like, allowing them to possess her and, like, working to help them pass on. Yeah. There's a moment early on where it sort of, like, foreshadows that because, like, so, like, in, I think it's in season two, she finds out that she can put salt around her apartment and they won't be able to talk to her. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she realizes it's so quiet that she can't sleep. So she, like, there's a moment where she, she break she quote unquote accidentally breaks the salt circle and says like, oops, but she doesn't mean it. Mm-hmm. And lets the girls like back into her apartment and it's still like going to be like six seasons before they learn that they can possess her. But it's still a moment where like you see like, okay, these things aren't going to be exactly what we thought. This isn't like Ghost Gets Revenge. Oh, it is, but not on Ben's, not on Benson. Yeah, and it's, like, some of the ghosts only want to, like, they just, like, want their body to be in the right place, and it's not, like, a revenge thing. Right. Yeah, so in, like, the the last couple chapters, Benson lets every single dead girl in New York into her. Yeah. And so she's one person, but a thousand girls. Yeah. And then they, one by one, lead her to catch every single person who killed them which is just like immensely narratively satisfying Mm -hmm. like to jump to the end uh they chase they catch no one gets away and then the next one is the last girl clings to the inside of benson's skull man this story is really good (laughs) uh it's it's just really good is the thing Maybe one of my favorite parts of the story is the thing about Benson and and Stabler kind of realize independently of each other that they can feel this, like, weird heartbeat in the streets of the city. And then kind of slowly as you're reading it, you're like, oh, it's the Law and Order noise. It's literally the noise from the Law and Order credits. Fuck. I didn't realize that till just now. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) I I think I realized it like halfway through reading it for the first time because uh 
she literally like types the noise out as dun dun a bunch of times and i'm like oh it's the it's the law and order like the dun dun you're absolutely right and that makes sense because there's a moment where stabler goes out into the yard and looks up at the sky and tells us to stop reading like Mm -hmm. when he gets to his worst point like he's like stop fucking (laughs) stop reading stop reading my story so of course like they're they're aware that it's they become uncomfortably aware that they are in a story. Yeah. And and I think that that's kind of like a, a thread that goes throughout this too. Because there's like a, a whole arc where Henson is just telling stories to the DA mm-hmm. to like keep the DA interested in her. Because she's not Benson, who the DA has a romantic interest in. Mm-hmm. I think that's also really interesting because, all right, not to be like, I'm going to analyze the story to death, but to analyze the story to death, like, um... Hell yeah. So, like, the the thing that is making the Law and Order noise, the dun-dun, is, um, I think quite literally a monster. Like, a monster that is beneath New York City. Yeah. Um, she says, like, so the DA, at the end of the story, the DA replaces, repeats the stories that Henson has told her to Benson... And Mm -hmm. she says, in the beginning, before the city, there was a creature, genderless, ageless, the city flies on its back. We hear it, all of us, in one way or another. It demands sacrifices, but it can only eat what we give it. And, like, if the the heartbeat is sort of SVU, then the monster is kind of SVU, right? Like, yeah, the the show... (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm having this realization for the first time. Like... (laughs) In kind of, like, a holy shit way. Like, yeah, of course, in order for there to be SVU, there has to be sacrifices. Yeah, and, like, people have to die on every episode. Multiple people. Mm -hmm. Like, I, (laughs) I like that, I like that this story kind of wraps up SVU very nicely, and I, I, I would like to choose to believe that this is how it ends at season 12, (laughs) and, like... None of the rest of SVU exists. Yeah. Stabler gets to take his wife and go and have, a, like, a good, actually good relationship. And uh, the DN and the Benson get to have a happy gay relationship. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting that this ends and it, it starts out very grim, but it, like, both main characters get, like, a quasi-happy ending. Mm-hmm. I think this story is also interesting because it is technically fan fiction. It is. It's kind of, it's not what I think anybody would think about when you think about fan fiction, but it's absolutely fan fiction. Yeah, and it's like fan fiction that changes the entire genre of the kind of like base material, which is always very interesting to me. Mm Mm-hmm. It really isn't too many steps away from, like, a crime drama show to, like, turn it into surrealist horror and point it and be like, hey, the things that happen on this show are actually fucked up. And I think that that is kind of what makes this interesting because it takes a very... Because, well, because it's written through episode summaries, it takes a very kind of outsider point of view on everything that's happening. Yeah, like, it... I mean, it's like this whole work is a piece of de- defamiliarization, right? Like, I mean, obviously, like there's yeah. no there's no like girls with bells for eyes in on or SVU. Though I wish there were, it would be a better show if there were if it there were. <laughs> but like, um, it takes that it takes that core of like okay, like people, not always women and girls, but often women and girls die in every episode of Law and Order SVU and we've watched it for 20 seasons like at what point does this become gratuitous or wrong or like at what point do we just need to like lay down our cultural like obsession with this kind of story and like it takes like this very like okay if we take if we take the level of horror that is in Law and Order SVU and just make it a little bit more explicitly supernatural then, like, it instantly becomes so much clearer what the actual horrible part of the show is. 
And I think what's interesting is like most of the supernatural stuff in the in this novella is not besides the besides like Henson and Abler the horrible stuff in this novella is sorry the supernatural stuff in this novella is not really is usually on the side of the protagonists. Like yeah. The heartbeat is reassuring the monster like is terrible but also kind of comforting. It leads them to understand at the very least. And then, like, the ghosts are definitely on the, the side, right? Mm-hmm. The only, like, really supernatural thing that is not either, like, neutral or positive is the interns. Oh, yeah. Who are monsters. And even, like, I think one of them tries to redeem herself and then dies, maybe? And and one just, like, quits. <laughs> no, I- she hasn't- she doesn't die- Wait, alright, so, like, I was thinking about the intern story, because it doesn't, it's, like, the weirdest, it's, like, a really weird, like, side bit of this. Yeah. So, like, alright, so, the interns think that, um, Stabler and Benson are sleeping together, and they want to know more. So they summon a demon to tell them more? Mm Mm-hmm. And then they, um, one of the demon takes one of the male interns as, like, a prisoner, and the intern is so annoying that they spit him back up in rural Pennsylvania. But he just yeah. kind of decides that he doesn't want to go back to New York because New York is too horrible. Yeah, and he just stays in Pennsylvania. That's, like, the last that you see of him. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the the girl gets goes to Father Jones, who's another yeah. interesting, like, side bit of this story. And she gets infected with prophecy. Which I think sort of represents an ability to, like, see Law & Order SVU as, a, as, like, a show. Like, I think that that's kind of what it is, right? Um, I think so? It's, it's kind of like you can see the future, but also you're kind of aware of something bigger than yourself. Right, and, um... Father Jones doesn't have it, but he has a, like, he's, like, an infection vector for it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so, like, like Father Jones is distraught because he thinks he killed his high school girlfriend. I mean, it's it's ambiguous whether he did or not, but, um, suicide warning, uh, she, like, she jumps off a building while they're on a date. Or, as the story puts it, like, kneels into the air. Yeah. Um, and, like, after that, like, everybody he touches becomes sort of, like, infected with this, with this, like, ability to understand how horrible things have gone. Mm-hmm. And um, he gets Stabler. Well, not gets, because it's not, like, he's just reaching out for help. But he, he Stabler is full of prophecy. And then Lucy, the intern, goes to him for help with the demon. And she also gets infected with it. And she, like, at the very end of the story comes to Benson and, like, essentially, like, tells her to lay down her gun. And then, like, disappears off into the night. Oh, yeah. That's, like, the last time you see her. Right. Which is weird because it doesn't really resolve. No. I mean, there's a lot of things in here that don't really resolve. Like, the vegetable thing. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, I guess, like, the Father Jones thing resolves because he dies. Mm-hmm. But, like, the prophecy is still out there, right? Like, it's hanging around Lucy. Well, I thought the vegetable thing kind of resolves because the last thing is the DA and Benson roasting vegetables on the on the grill. Oh, yeah. I, I guess you're right. Like, because, like, the whole thing is about how, like, Benson can't eat. Yeah. Because of how, I think, upset and distraught by her work she is. So, like, the, the sort of resolution of that is that she can, she gets to a place where she can have a relationship with food. Which is, like, relatable. Hashtag goals. Yeah, at the, at the beginning of the story, it kind of establishes that, like, she buys all of this like healthy food and vegetables and stuff but she just like kind of eats garbage and lets it rot in her fridge and just like throws it out when it started to rot Mm -hmm. um and then but then towards the end she starts like actually growing vegetables in her apartment and eating those and it kind of goes the other way this this story has a lot of good like bookend moments in it I feel mm-hmm. like. Especially in, in Benson's kind of arc. Yeah. 
I mean, there's also, like, it's also very bookended in Stabler's arc because, like, one of the first thing, one of the first episode descriptions that's just about Stabler, right, like, not about it, anybody else, is about how he has um, two brothers, but he only knows about one. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole thing where Abler, the doppelganger, is pretending to be his brother. Yeah. And then sort of at the very end... Stabler decides that he's going to go somewhere where he can change his name and have a new family that's not connected to his old family. And, like, that kind of bookends that story because he becomes the brother you don't know. Like, mm. like um, because his he says, like, repeatedly that his younger brother, like, disappeared off to Romania and changed his name and nobody knows where he is. And, like, at the very end of the story, like, that's essentially what Stabler gets to do. And, like, the thing is, it becomes, over the course of the story, it becomes from, like, being something, like, horrible. Like, oh, isn't it horrible that he doesn't know where where his family is? Like, isn't it scary that anybody could be his brother? And then, like, at the end, it's like, oh, no, being able to to disappear, like, this is a gift, right? Like, no, it's not horrible. It's, It's just good. At least good for him. Dang, I didn't even realize that when I was reading it. I wonder if the Benson thing isn't also kind of a commentary on, like, how women on TV shows are not very often shown eating food. I think it's probably that. I mean, so I haven't read all of Carmen Maria Machado's other work, but, like, her her short stories, um, Her Body and Other Parties, like, is very much about, like, other people's views of women's bodies and women's sexualities. So I can definitely see that, like, like a lot of Benson's arc is about, like, how she's constantly shown dating men, but she doesn't really care for them. Yeah. Because, like, so, like, at first, there was, like, a moment in the story where I kind of got, like, where it first starts to, like, hint that Benson is going to end up in a in a relationship with a woman. Mm-hmm. Where I kind of got, like, a little bit frustrated with, like... Oh, of course, like, of course there's, like, a, a sexy lesbian subplot, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, um, and of course Stabler's wife doesn't have a name, and of course, like, all this other stuff. I mean, I started thinking about it and thinking about how, like, nobody but Stabler, nobody but them and the doppelgangers have names, and how, like, actually, like, the only points we see of, like, joy in Benson's life are when she's with the woman. And I was like, oh, it's actually just, like, we have to see it from the point of view of the TV show first, and then we get to change what that is, right? First, we have to see Benson having, like, being, like, sexually available to men because people on TV want to see her be sexually available, right? And then, then we get to, like, once we've established, like, sort of, like, that's her horrendous baseline, then we get to move towards a future where she is happy because she is not in a, like, not in a relationship that is shaped by, like, the male gaze. Yeah, and I, I kind of saw the interns as, like, stand-ins for kind of, like, writers or, like, fans of the show who mm-hmm. really wanted Benson and Stabler to get together. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point. Because I, I um, feel like that's a thing even though i i have no experience in law and order fandom my gut tells me that's a thing Mm -hmm. because if you put a male and a female lead together on any show people are gonna go ape shit for that i mean yeah like the first the first we hear about the interns is like this really horrendous paragraph at the end of season one where they are like placing bets on when stabler and benson will get together (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, like, forcing them into compromise- compromising positions and, like, making jokes about how, like, the special victims unit is, like, the rapiest police department in Manhattan. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, like, the interns are, like, people who don't, I don't want to say, like, they're one-to-one fandom stand-ins, but they're definitely, like, they're sort of stand-ins for how, like, people who forget that special victims units actually exist interact with the show. Yeah, and, like... People who kind of don't take it seriously because it's ostensibly a fictional show. Right. Like, just, like, in that 20-minute pause where we watch videos. Like, <laughs> I, I watched a video that was, like, very... It was about, like, who is Stabler's wife, right? Mm-hmm. And in the real show, like, she's shown as, like, jealous of all the other women, right, that Stabler works with. 
and then like divorces him and then they have like steamy backroom sex like <laughs> will separated and then end up in this like will they won't they relationship right mm-hmm. and i think that the story goes r- really far out of its way to subvert that like stabler's wife is just called his wife in the book like she doesn't have a name but she plays a pretty like important role in how he's viewing the world and what his priorities are and like she she gets to like she's the one who tells him that she thinks benson is in love with him she's like and she talks to him pretty frankly about like how she views other women in a way that like would never happen on the tv show because there's no drama in it yeah and i and i think also because like there's kind of a a whole period where they're kind of a little bit like in a fight because like stabler finds out that his wife was sexually assaulted and she had been trying to kind of cover up that fact with like a fictionalized version of it Mm -hmm. And for a couple seasons, uh, his wife is not talking to him, but it's in a way that would probably never be shown on television because it is so quiet. Yeah, and, like, and it's also so like, true to life. Very, yeah, it's very real, and it's very not drama. She's just like, I don't want to talk to you because you pried into my past. And he's like, I did it because I loved you and wanted to understand, but I can see it's hurt you. And like, that's the end of it for like five seasons, right? Like, it it occasionally, like the story occasionally loops back around and is like, yeah, they're still not speaking, but it's never like, neither of them really changed their position. Like, she's like, it was, she's always like, it was wrong to pry into my past without my permission. And he's always like, you were screaming at night. And I wanted to know why, right? Yeah. And I wanted to take care of you. And, like, in a, in a TV show, that would be an immense, like, overblown, overplayed drama. Right, yeah. And in this, it's just something that happens and that eventually brings them closer together. Yeah, and I I kind of feel like this is kind of an instance in, in the more fan fiction-y realm of where, like, the author having very little experience with the source material actually kind of enhances this story because she's kind of able to give Stabler a home life that I feel like the TV show maybe doesn't. (laughs) Right. I mean, and he eventually, like, okay, like, in the TV show, eventually they get divorced and she basically gets written off the show. But in this one, he chooses her over his work. Right. Like, that's essentially what happens. Because he's like, yeah. he sends her away because he doesn't feel like she's safe. And then, like, when his sort of work hunting down the girls' killers is done, he's like, okay, like, I'm taking you to a place where we can be happy. Yeah. And I, I, I like that a lot of kind of like the, the episodes, quote unquote, where, where you see Stabler by himself is just like him doing domestic stuff at home with his kids and with his wife because like that is stuff that they do not show you on shows like SVU yeah like the whole as far as I can tell from the one one minute 30 second video I watched <laughs> um I'm an expert in, on so you know like there's like um like the first couple like several seasons of Law and Order SVU Stabler's whole plot was like He's a man who doesn't talk about his feelings and his wife wants him to open up and he doesn't spend God. enough time at home and she wants him to spend more time at home and she's such a nag. Do you know what I mean? Like, as far as I could tell, that's like the first five real seasons of Law & Order SVU. So just like the arc of every single man on a crime show. <laughs> exactly. So like... In this, like, Stabler is the one who has a, like, Stabler is the one who has, like, a story about his relation, like, his family, and he's, like, he's shown taking care of his girls, and he's, like, his his two children, and he's shown taking care of his wife, and, like, fighting with her, and talking about how to handle their children together, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he's not, like, a perfect dad, but he is, at the very least in the story, shown as, like, an active father, yeah. 
<laughs> move over every other TV father. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's interesting that Stabler is the character that's positioned as domestic when he's like the the male main character and whereas Benson is positioned as kind of a like a loner almost yeah and I mean I think like like in the end Benson sort of has the more active arc yeah like I mean Stabler makes a, a bunch of choices and like eventually chooses his family over the precinct and like works to keep his family safe but like but like benson like tries to fix the girls the knockers and the girls with bells for eyes bells bell eyes and um like tries to heal them even before she realizes that she can just let them possess her and like is trying to trace the um the like origin of the heartbeat in like a way that like makes her very much like the the one who is advancing sort of as far as insofar as there is plot in this story, she is the one advancing it. Yeah, and I and I think that makes sense because Benson is the one who the girls can possess and she kind of understands what they're saying because she can understand like they, they ring their bells in Morse code and she like teaches herself Morse code. And it also makes sense because like of the two leads, like in the in IRL in the real Law and Order, like Stabler dies and Benson is still on the show after twenty seasons. I mean, oh my god, let her rest. Please, <laughs> please let her rest. Is that actress like okay? <sighs> I hope so. I hope she has a really good therapist. I hope she gets to play another role at some point in her life. Twenty seasons, how much do you think that is? Like twenty five years? Probably, yeah, since 1999. 21 years. Jesus Christ. Apparently her work on the show led her to found a organization that provides support to people who've been sexually abused. Well, I'm glad some good came out of that. I'm really, that's good. I love it when, I mean, we shouldn't have to be relying on, like, charities and things, but, like, it's always good when a when, like, a role helps somebody actually do good. Has she been in literally anything else? Are you checking her IMBD? I'm on her Wikipedia page. I'm just curious if she, like, acts in literally anything else or if her life is just completely law and order all the time. Oh, she tra- Apparently she actually trained as a rape crisis advocate to be on law and order. Oh, that's cool. I mean, that makes that total cool. sense because, um... I, you probably, you might know this because you're, like, somebody who hangs on the internet. But they, like, if you're a paramedic or a nurse, you can get, like, paid, like, a t- not, like, a ton. But, like, your per hour fee as an extra is, like, much higher because they always need, like, paramedics who actually look like, know, look like they know what they're doing on medical shows. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. So, like, um... I was an extra on a medical show for one episode. <laughs> just one episode. I was just, like, somebody walking back and forth in a line in the background and, like, filling out <laughs> forms in one scene. But, like, I was... During it, I ended up talking to, like, a bunch of, like, the extras who played paramedics. And almost all of them were real paramedics who did this, like, when they were off shift. Because, like, it was, like... $16 an hour or something to be an extra, but they were getting paid, like, $20 an hour because they had the expertise. And, like, apparently, like, that's one of the reasons that all the paramedics in every TV show looks the same, because it's the same paramedics who just come back again and again and again to be oh my God. those paramedics. Dude, I'm reading her Wikipedia page, and apparently she... Uh, during a, a failed stunt on the set of SVU, she, uh, suffered a partially collapsed lung. Oh, Jesus. I know! Is she okay? Is Law and Order SVU worth this? Apparently. It is very cool, though, that she, uh, she started, like, donating to a bunch of like, women's organizations, and she she founded her own... Uh, organization to support survivors because 
apparently she gets a bunch of fan mail from survivors who like feel a connection to her through the show. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of really cool actually that she does a lot of work in that sphere. I didn't know that. No, that that is really cool. And I I guess if like I guess Law and Order is probably giving at least a few survivors some like I don't know I don't want to assume people's feelings, but that makes me think that maybe like for some people it's good to see people caught. <laughs> yeah, like, you I'm, never know. Like I don't I don't know I don't want to assume, but I don't know. I'm trying to like at the <laughs> as we wrap around on this like we've been talking about how much this is like a, a very focused critique of Law and Order SVU. I'm being like, oh, yeah. okay, like, <laughs> we both seem, have been pretty hard on Law and Order SVU. Maybe there's, like, some ways in which it has actually helped people. She was in the music video for Bad Blood? <laughs> the Taylor Swift video? Yes! Sorry, this is a total derailment. We have to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> all, all her awards and nominations are for the television show Law & Order SVU, except for the 2015 MTV Video Music Award, won by Taylor Swift and all the celebrities that appeared in the music video for Bad Blood. This is incredible. What? I'm now watching Bad Blood. <laughs> I'm reading about all of the, like, failed Law & Order uh shows that there have been mm-hmm. there was a law and order movie and ice t was in it he had top billing in the law and order movie as a different character from the character who plays on svu <laughs> oh my god <laughs> there are canonically two ice t's in the svu universe ice t exists twice in the law and order universe this is wild why are there five Law and Order video games? Who is playing these? Where? What is the? What is the demand for Law and Order video games? Um, should we wrap up our discussion on especially heinous? Because I feel like we're now going off into a bunch of different directions. <laughs> yeah, let's. I feel like we should say something like poignant about the end of this, but well, I. I feel like a lot of this story kind of centers around how very heinous stuff kind of becomes more palatable to us as a society when it's kind of wrapped up in fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, there's kind of the th- the whole through line of the first couple seasons of, like, Stabler's wife wraps up her assault in kind of this, like, alien abduction narrative, and... I feel like the whole novella is kind of pointing out that, like, these things that a lot of people would find heinous in real life are kind of, like, becoming normalized and we're becoming desensitized to them in, like, this almost absurd way because of shows like SVU that are, like, continually subjecting us to it in through fiction. Yeah, and I also think, like, another point it's making is sort of just that, like, that, like, horrible things happen, but we've convinced ourselves that sort of, like, they happen in specific ways, and they really don't. Like, um, I'm thinking about, like, the the whole Father Jones storyline, because it, it starts out by being, like, you ex- I mentioned a priest, you think this is gonna be, like, a, a CSA story, right? Like, yeah, we're in Law and Order SVU, here's a priest, um... And it immediately is like, no, actually, like, he has a really complicated relationship with the death of his, of his, like, high school girlfriend. And he's not necessarily blameless, but he's also, like, it's, it's just not the story or way you expect. And it's heinous. It's, like, especially heinous in, like, a very, very different way than what you Mm -hmm. expect. And a lot of these things are taking, like, like, sort of tropes that appear again and again and again on Law & Order SVU and, like, in, like, fiction and being, like, okay, yeah, they're horrible, but, like, they're horrible in different ways and we can't just, like, immediately write them off as being part of these, like, cliches of assault. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think another thing it's like, it's, like, it's also, like, I don't want to be, like, oh, thing, okay, this thing has morals because I really I think its heart is, like, oh, like, it just, like, here look at this story through fresh eyes. Like, look at SVU through fresh eyes. But I also do think it, like, really advocates for, like, taking time and care with the dead and with, like, 
horrible things that happen because sort of like the resolution of the story comes from like Benson learning how to listen to the ghosts and like giving yeah. them space and time to like, you know, decide how they want to be re- like how they would be put to rest. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. But also the story just rips. Oh, it's so good. This is a really good story. If you think that you can emotionally handle reading it, you definitely should. As yeah. is my recommendation for pretty much everything that I review on this podcast. Um, and I'm, I promise next time I come back, it will be a story that's just as weird, but maybe less heinous. We'll see. Um, yeah, you can find Especially Heinous uh, for free online on the American Reader website. Uh, I will throw a link to it in the show notes. I think that is going to do it for us. So, Ben Roswell, where can people find you on the internet? I'm Ben Roswell, and you can find me at RoswellWrites on Twitter, and I have games on, at roswellians.itch.io. And um, also for fans of this pod who are like readers and things, um, by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have launched a fantasy web serial that you can read online for free. You can find that at numerinograd.com. And if you like like really intensely descriptive pieces of fantasy, you'll like that. Hell yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Corpse Survivors. This show you can find on Twitter at Dead Letter Pod. And that's our show. Read more books. Hey everybody, so this is the last episode of season one of Dead Letter Society. And as for what is going to be going on moving forwards with the podcast, I and Alyssa, who is coming on as my permanent co-host, will be recording a bunch of episodes for season two very soon, and I'm going to try and edit a lot of them in one big batch. So season two of Dead Letter Society will be coming sometime in early 2021, and I will put more information on the Twitter when I have it. So thank you for listening and enjoying season one. Uh, We will be back very soon in the new year.